Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm... Wait, am I the straight-laced psychotherapist? I thought I was going to be the unconventional hypnotherapist, and you were going to be the super serious trauma specialist. No, you were going to be the relationship expert. Like, love expert. And you're going to be the specialist who guides people with down-to-earth techniques for transmuting trauma? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, good. I'll be the love expert. I mean, I am the love expert. I think we have this all sorted out. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light, and this is Holding Ground. Today and every Monday, we've got a little bit of everything for you. Shall we? Yeah, let's do this. Good morning. You're listening to Holding Ground, where every Monday morning we discuss all things related to therapy and positive mental health. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective, and I am a licensed psychotherapist. And I am here today with my lovely co-host, Michelle Mooney, who is our resident trauma therapist. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Laura, and to everyone listening today. So, Michelle, complete this sentence. You are what you... You are what you think you are. So through life experiences, we learn to believe things about ourselves. And this is a big one for us, core belief type stuff. And sometimes the belief system gets derailed and more often than not derailed by traumatic and distressing experiences. Yes. And so that is what I want to focus on today. So many of our favorite thinkers have put different forward, different variations on this idea. We create our own reality through our thoughts, our words, Um, And through our actions and what we say to ourselves and about ourselves is what actually is creating our life experience. And like you said, sometimes that can go kind of into that negative place and Mm -hmm. we're unconsciously creating an experience that we don't want to be having. Right. So in this episode, episode five, we're already on. um, We're going to be talking about uh, self-talk and how to hear it, how to reframe it, how to reshape it. And how to speak differently to ourselves and mm-hmm. others so that we are creating the results that we want to create. So Carl Rogers, who was a humanistic psychologist and the father of person-centered psychotherapy, believed that when human beings had a poor self-concept, they could not reach their full potential. And he has this to say, we cannot change, we cannot move away from what we are until we thoroughly accept what we are. Then change seems to come about almost unnoticed. Mm. So I love that quote. I thought that it was interesting. It kind of builds on what we talked about last week around self-acceptance. And when we have negative self-talk, when we're beating ourselves up, it's because we're resisting something. We're not accepting something in our current circumstance. And the reason that people do this, that I've done it, I see clients do it all Mm -hmm. the time, is because there is a hope of changing it. And so we think if we just beat ourselves up enough, we would surely change. If we could just criticize or be harsh, we would talk ourselves into changing our behavior. But in fact, it's the opposite of that. So um, if I am really hard on it, on myself, I am actually going to stay stuck. I'm I'm not able to change because I'm Mm -hmm. not accepting what is happening right now. Right. So if that worked, I would tell people to go for it. Just be as mean as your, to yourself as you want to. Yeah, but that's really working for a lot of people, right? The <laughs> negative self-talk, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't work, right? right exactly. We don't get anywhere with it. Right. So that is why today we are going to be talking about a different strategy so you can create the results that you want to have. 
Right. And this is so necessary. And sometimes, again, a traumatic experience can come from, you know, can create those narratives. And we talk about traumatic experiences a lot, but really any distressing event that has happened in your life that can get you stuck, that you can form a negative belief around. So at the end of this episode, all of our negative statements will be more positive, more fair, more empowering, more supportive, and just plain better for us and those around us. So let's go. Yes. So we'll be focusing on the reframe. It's really important to recognize that there are a number of different reasons why we say negative things to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, we we do it because we want to change is one of the reasons. Um, but since it isn't effective, we're going to talk about a different way of going about that. And some of that comes into play um, when we take into account different expectations that maybe society has for us or our family Mm -hmm. has for us. And we set these standards that maybe aren't in line with what we really want for ourselves or they're just kind of our way to set us up for failure. So maybe gender roles, thoughts about age. What else, Michelle? What are some other things that we use to beat up on ourselves? Right. Success, right? Mm -hmm. Or I haven't had kids by a certain time or, you know, I'm mid-30s and haven't met a partner yet. All of those things, right, that we're supposed to be married by a certain age and have the 2.5 of kids and, you know, in terms of, you know. amount in your 401k. Yeah, Certain level of management at your corporation. Right. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah, this is very true. Yeah. We want to notice when we're getting into comparison, if that's mm-hmm. a way that we're beating up on ourselves. And another thing, too, Laura, is often when we are in this mode of negative self-talk, right, we look to others to validate us, like an external experience, mm-hmm. an external partner. And, you know, that's never going to go well because if we're just looking for external validation to fill those holes, let's say you're in a relationship where you're getting that need met and then it ends, you feel very empty. You don't know how to really redirect your thought process and love yourself. Yes. And I've worked with so many clients going through the end of relationship or a job loss and there's a, they're really pursuing the pro- approval of someone or something mm-hmm. that's been taken away. Yes. And it it feels like if I could just have that, if that person just wanted to get back together, if they just could see like how great I really was, then I would, then I would recognize it myself. But in fact, that isn't ever true. It's all about changing your own inner narrative so that you recognize it yourself. And then when, when other people see it, it doesn't matter all that much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's nice to hear, but it's not what we need yes. to fulfill us. Yeah, validation is always good. We all want a yeah. little validation. We, yeah, in a little bit, right? You <laughs> yeah. dress up for a party, like you want to hear you, you look nice, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we don't want to be dependent on that. Exactly. And when you have a real, and it's, again, you're not going to achieve the things you want to achieve if you are dependent on on somebody else's validation. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. Waiting for someone else to give you permission to be your best self. Right, yeah. exactly. So we were looking at some statistics that were interesting about um, where some of this stuff comes from. And Michelle, you came across something from the National Organization of Women that I thought was really interesting. Right. And we can unfairly um, develop negative self-talk and narratives for ourselves because of that comparison or what standards are for us. So, for in, or for example, the National Organization of Women did, just, did some research on how women view their bodies. And when asked, are you happy with your body? 43.2% of women said yes. So that's less than half. Yeah, that's... Yeah. A lot of people saying no. Right. And then studies at Stanford University and the University of Massachusetts found that 70 percent of college women say they feel worse about their looks after reading women's magazines. And I think that applies to all age ranges for women. Right. This is what you're supposed to look like. You know, 
a size to, yeah. um, you know, a certain height, all of that. And if you're not, then you can really start to beat yourself up. So we start to tell ourselves, you know, I'm fat, I'm ugly, but you know, the good news is we can unlearn these too and reframe them for ourselves. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things happening in the world today that are challenging that belief, especially for like a younger generation mm-hmm. of women. There's a lot of people in the media, a lot of representation of different body types. Mm-hmm. I know when I was young, um, and I've said this on other shows before, the ideal was was the supermodels or mm-hmm. Pete right, Moss. Right. So if you weren't six feet tall and 100 pounds, you And were only kinda... drinking a Diet Coke and a cigarette every day <laughs> yeah. for your associate. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, that you just were somehow not measuring up. And so we do that creates our inner dialogue Mm -hmm. that I'm, you know, there's something wrong with my body. I'm too heavy. I'm not going to be attractive. Somebody would would love or accept me only if I could lose 10 pounds. Exactly. And that negative self-talk becomes very Mm self-sabotaging because it especially in that case, I think causes you to hold back in your life. I've even worked with clients before who have said to me, like, I'm going to start dating when I lose 10 pounds. And I right, say, well, what, exactly. def- what difference does that mm-hmm, make? Mm-hmm. Well, I just, you know, no one. And lose 10 pounds, gain 10 pounds, it doesn't really matter. Right. It's because about if somebody how you feel cares about, it. about yeah. you, right? They're connecting with who you are, not necessarily what you're looking like, right? right? So setting those standards, I have to lose 10 pounds or I have to get a better job or I have to achieve all of these things before I can be in a relationship. You're probably really missing out on something. You're holding yourself back. So who knows what, you know, could be out there for you right now. Right. And you're blocking the things that you want to bring into your life. So, I mean, definitely uh, body image. We talk a lot about female body image, but I'm sure males struggle with body exactly, image as well. Exactly, right. There's a certain standard of you have to look strong and have your six pack and all of that, right? right. So um, yeah, it definitely happens for males too. Yeah. And you were also going to kind of talk about um, how this affects the aging population as well, right? Yes. There's a lot of ageism in our culture and a lot of negative beliefs can come um, around that time for folks. So it's interesting, and I see this as a barrier as well with clients. A lot of times when we're talking about dating, and that was my own experience in dating too. Oh, I'm going to be too old. Nobody wants to date somebody who's 40, yeah, which is I, a very yeah. arbitrary number. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I'm I'm never going to find somebody because of my age. Or or there are real ageist things happening. I think yeah. job discrimination is, there's no Absolutely, disputing right. that that is mm-hmm. something that's happening. Mm-hmm. And this is what uh, the World Health Organism World Health Organization had to say about ageism. Ageism is the stereotyping prejudice and discrimination against people on the basis of their age. Ageism is widespread and an insidious practice which has harmful effects on the health of older adults. Mm -hmm. For older people, ageism is an everyday challenge. Overlooked for employment, restricted from social services, and stereotyped in the media, ageism marginalizes and excludes older people in their communities. Mm -hmm. So... And it also says, and I thought this was interesting, I hadn't really thought about this, um, ageism is everywhere, yet it is the most socially normalized of any prejudice and is not widely countered like racism or sexism, although we have work to do in both those areas too. Um, These attitudes lead to the marginalization of older people within our communities and have negative impacts on their health and Mm -hmm. well-being. And so, again, that's real. That's happening. But... The level that I decide to buy into it is going to impact my health health. overall, right? Yep. And the experience that I have. So I have, I have examples of over the years clients who really bought into it and just kind of shut down and Mm -hmm. just believed like I can't 
Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm 60. And even though I am still very mentally and physically capable of doing the things I have always done, all of right. a sudden now the world is telling me I can't do them anymore. Right. And and let that be their experience. I also, I worked with a woman who, when she started coming to see me, she was 90. And, oh, yes, yes. And she, her husband passed away when she was 80. And she said, you know what? I want to have a companion and I'm going to like get back out there and find somebody. So she found a boyfriend at 81 and they were together for the next 10 years. So she didn't buy it and she created a different experience. Right, exactly. All those opportunities are still out there, but they are definitely harder for the aging population. And especially, like you said, the employment um, discrimination. Yes. But I do think that one thing that we can change is, is how we're looking at it. So, um, because we are also creating our our own experiences. So while it does mm-hmm. exist, at the same time, if we don't choose to buy into it, we might be able to create a different outcome. Yep. And uh, Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, so he has a lot of insight in how you make the best of bad circumstances, yeah. said we are no longer able to change a situation. When excuse me, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And so notice your self-talk and start to be aware of what you're saying to yourself. And notice how that's impacting the experience that you're having. Yeah. And I really love that quote. And for somebody to have that life experience and still, you know, figuring out things about themselves in that time. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week, too, is, you know, he accepted a situation he couldn't change. So Mm -hmm. I can't change this. What can I do for myself? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, yeah. And that's a remarkable experience that that's the most horrible of circumstances. And still he was able his book is um Fantastics. If anyone's interested in some inspiration, Viktor Frankl is a good person to look at. But even in, you know, lesser circumstances where we're not in concentration camps, but maybe we're really frustrated in our relationships or our job, there is the opportunity to see, to tell ourselves a new story about it. Yep. And then that can be our experience. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about how to alter our reality. Yes. Thank you for listening to Holding Ground. We'll be right back after the break. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Some people choose their specialty, and sometimes the specialty chooses them. For me, becoming a relationship therapist, well, it was a little of both. Hi, I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And over the last decade, I've explored love from every angle. Professionally, self-love, unrequited love, and yes, personally, too. I love love. 
It's the most powerful force on the planet. It affects everything we do. My co-host, Michelle Mooney, is an absolute expert on healing anxiety and trauma and the ways we can move out of pain and suffering to create a life full of purpose and meaning. This is Holding Ground. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing. Our specialty is helping others. At the end of the day, and well, on every Monday morning, what motivates us and drives us is helping you. So thank you for being here. It's sort of the best thing you could ever do. Oh, I love that. But I guess I would, right? Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It's me, Michelle, from Anchor Light Therapy Collective, and this is Holding Ground. So now we're about to go through a list of five really common things that a lot of us can say to ourselves, that negative self-talk, and then we're going to reframe them and re-say them, Laura. Yes, and we're going to, through this practice, change our actions, our habits, our values, and our realities for the best. So Sounds Mich- like magic. It is super magic. Okay, so tell us, Michelle, what's number one? Okay, number one. This is something I think a lot of us are saying right now. Um, I am so lazy. So it's a different world out there, and it's okay to adjust to what the world is asking of us. And we'll talk a little bit more later in the show about alternate thoughts that disprove this narrative, the story we are telling ourselves about being lazy. So here's what I think. It feels really good to rest when you're tired and take it easy when you know that's what you need. But this is totally different from being lazy. And some of this means we are not as active and productive as we used to be. But that isn't you. This is the circumstances. So, yes, there's I was thinking about this belief that I'm lazy and this comes up with clients all of the time. And there was a few scenarios that I noticed this coming up in that are common for people. So one of them is being in Seattle. We have a lot of very high functioning people working in environments that tell them they should be even more high functioning. Yes. So they start to believe that they aren't accomplished enough and that they're lazy. And I mean, there's been some really extreme examples. I've had clients, more than one client, tell Mm -hmm. me that they were working across time zones. And so they would wake up in the middle of the night to take phone calls and their sleep was being interrupted. And then they were they were working 16 hours a day, maybe even more. And then wondering why they were so lazy, air quotes, um, and didn't have a social life or Mm -hmm. couldn't take good care of their physical health. And if they could just push family. Yeah. 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 A lot of these people are single that do that, that get in these roles. Yeah, I guess that's true, right? Yeah, but I'm sure there's people with families as Mm -hmm. well. But yeah, that when you're just working, there's no time for anything else. However, their their uh, perception is being altered because they're working in environments where they're being told that they should be able to do yeah. it all. The expectation is unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, sleep is not optional. So yeah. whether you like it or not, we're going to have to at least dedicate eight hours a day to yep. sleep. So if you're working the other 16, there just isn't time for anything else. Anything right? else. And are you eating, right? Are you taking care of your you know basic needs? And if we don't have those met, we're not going to function the way we're wanting to or what yeah. <laughs> the expectations of working 16 hour days right it's just not possible it's just not possible so so if you're telling yourself you're lazy but you're working 16 hours a day maybe take some time to reflect on uh if that is actually a true thought mm-hmm. or if your life is out of balance and there's some work to be done but being more, more motivated is probably mm-hmm. probably not it mm-hmm. um so the next thing is i notice with people who tell themselves that they're lazy is that they're struggling with their mental health and it's right. taking everything that they have just to maintain a normal level of functioning or even a lower level of functioning mm-hmm. so they could be 
going through recovery for an addiction. They could be grieving the loss of something. Um, they could be struggling with depression or anxiety and or and or dealing with a traumatic event. And in doing that, they don't have the same level of its, of energy to give to things as they normally would because that is taking some of their energy. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, with a lot of the things that you just said right now, so depression, right, we want to do things, but with depression, a Hallmark struggle is that motiv- motivation just isn't there. And un- that's the untreated depression. That's mm-hmm. not the per- person. And like you said, trauma, surviving an emotional or physical trauma is a monumental task, mm-hmm. especially when it, we're being reminded of it. Our minds are reacting, our bodies are reaction- reacting. So as we try to heal from past events, our minds and bodies need more caring for it and, you know, essentially more rest. Yeah. Um, I saw this a lot, too, with coronavirus. So everyone, a lot of us had time off or we were working from home and we thought, you know what? I am going to clean out all of my closets and lose 10 pounds and <laughs> yeah. start eating clean and all of those things. And then I'd have clients say to me, um, and I actually kind of thought that a little bit myself. Oh, me too. too. Like, I was like, I'm going to read all my, all my books <laughs> read, and yeah, I'm yeah. going to relearn yoga. You know, it's like, yeah. And then it's like, no, you're still working just as much. And yeah. Yeah. Or so you're adjusting to work from home, which mm-hmm. for a lot of people, that was a big adjustment. It's It was from working in person to working online was taxing. It was we had to adjust to something new. We're adjusting to a life where we're dealing with a, like a deadly pandemic kind of playing out in the background mm-hmm. all the time, even if we haven't been personally affected by it. There is the the option that that could happen. And that is stressful. I would I think a case could be made that we're all a bit traumatized by the coronavirus. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. The adjustment, the fear, everything that goes along with it. This is a traumatic time. Yeah. Um, and so that's a really good point. And other things, you know, mental health um, conditions that we can have that kind of limit our ability to do things that don't mean that we're lazy. Anxiety is another one, right? So anxiety uh, presents as both emotional and physical. And when we're anxious, we're constantly looking out for something that's a perceived danger. So that wears us out, requires folks with anxiety to get more rest. And then the other thing is addiction. So any sort of use of anything, right? substances, gambling, overeating, undereating, um, and excess can cause us to check out and often with negative life outcomes, right? But when we're addicted, we're doing some, this to try to es- escape and mm-hmm. avoid some sort of pain. Um, and through that, though, that escape, we're not achieving things, not because we don't want to, but because we don't know any other way to live without pain, even though when this causes, you know, more trouble for ourselves and loved ones. Yeah. You know, and I think another thing with addiction is I have uh, have had clients who were recovering from an addiction. So now they're mm-hmm. no longer engaging in the addictive behavior, and yet they're still feeling drained. But the thing is, they're learning new coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. They're adjusting to life without whatever their substance of choice was. Yeah. And that is exhausting. Right. So again, when you're kind of getting, and, and they will think, well, I'm not drinking anymore. I should have so much more free time to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, you need some time to learn how to be a sober person in the world. And that's going to take yeah. your energy. Because if you're constant, like if we're talking about substances, right, yes, it's great to be in recovery, but A, yes, we could still be triggered. Our bodies are healing from that experience. We Mm -hmm. were killing ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. If you're an alcoholic, your liver is going to, you know, start to function poorly. So when you stop using Your brain is healing. Yeah, exactly. So your body's trying to collect itself back together. It's like, oh, we're not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. We can start to heal. But that's an exhausting process. And that's a huge 
um, accomplishment, right? But we can be extra tired from that. Um, and again, that lazy self-talk can come up. But again, it's other things that are affecting that. It's not necessarily us as a person. And we're really, it's very easy just because there is stigma around mental health issues. It's easy to say, you know, when I had surgery, I said, okay, well, I need two weeks to recover from this. I didn't say, oh, I'm so lazy if I can't you know, <laughs> jump out of my hospital bed and get back to work. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I gave myself full permission, as did my doctor, to say, like, you're going to be out of it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but with mental health, sometimes we aren't willing to do that. We see it as a, a like a, a lack of, um, what is the word I'm looking for, that it, there's a value judgment on that. If I was a better yep. person, I would be able to overcome this. Yeah. yeah. And I've had days where I've had to take a mental health day, right? Mm-hmm. We just can kind of get to that point. It's like, okay, I need a rest. And I've never, you know, if I let my supervisors in the past know, I would just say, you know, I'm taking a sick day. I'm not feeling well, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I'm a therapist mm-hmm. saying I need this day, a mental health day can be very hard. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes it feels like a character flaw. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. And that is what we want you to understand. So, We don't want anyone to engage in negative self-talk about being lazy. Being lazy when we just really need to rest and recharge, right? Yeah, yeah. We want to be, and this is from the work of Carl Rogers again, Mm. that we want to be open to both positive and negative emotions. We don't want to deny our negative feelings, but we want to, but instead give ourselves the opportunity to work through them. Yeah, just experience them, let yourself know that they're there, right? And it takes a lot of energy to push them away. You'll have more (laughs) energy if you just let it happen. Right, let it happen. Don't store it somewhere in your brain or your body, right? Because you're going to have to go back to it anyway. Um, Another thing with the I'm lazy narrative, and I think that all of us maybe struggle a little bit with this, is maybe when I am relaxing, I might hop onto my social media and start mm-hmm. scrolling through. And what am I going to find? I'm going to find people who are eating clean and doing fitness competitions and well, killing at least that's it. what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I did this for one day. <laughs> <laughs> and I got it all on, on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, killing it in their careers. They've got 15 side hustles. They're doing all this stuff. And so, again, we talked a little bit earlier about how comparing can really send us into a place of negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I'm not doing as much as this person is doing. Yep. And maybe you are, but they just document it really well on social media. Right. We don't document, hey, I need a mental health day yeah. or my relationship is crumbling. Well, I guess some people do. Yeah. But in general, it's <laughs> We this, wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. Though. In general, it's this highlight reel. I'm sure we've all kind of heard that for in terms of um, social media, right? Yeah. We're not posting the hard stuff. We're posting all this great stuff. So when we're not feeling good and we're looking through social media and like, oh, yeah, they're doing this, they're accomplishing this, and I'm doing nothing. Yeah. So part of the rest process is actually putting that stuff down. Yeah. Yeah, we need to rest. There's no way around it. Yep. So when you're feeling like you're being lazy, if you have a negative narrative around that, ask yourself, are your expectations realistic? Like I said, you do need to sleep. Are you comparing yourself to other people? Or are you struggling with some mental health issues that, that need to be addressed? And there's mm-hmm. no shame in that. Mm-hmm. And I like to think of this about, you know, it's kind of a difference between defining ourselves as lazy and something versus, you know, like having a temporary quality of laziness, right? So, if I need a day of rest, that doesn't mean I'm overall lazy as a person. It doesn't mean you're lazy in general. Um, but, you know, it sounds like a permanent condition. It's totally different than I'm feeling lazy or I'm lazy right now, which makes it more clear, you know, to you and others that it's only temporary. So I would start to reframe this one by just changing the structure of the phrase itself. And even better, we can say something like, I'm taking a day to be reflective. I'm giving myself the gift of rest today. And you can immediately feel how those re- reframes change that message or something like I'm reminding ourselves I'm doing the best I can with what I have and what's going on right now 
Good. I love that. So it's summertime. Maybe it's okay to take it easy a little bit. Maybe it's okay to enjoy the sunshine, which it's kind of we're getting some sunshine here. Almost. It's almost summer in Seattle. I think I see a a ray. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you find that you have ongoing issues where you're not able to uh, do the things that you want to do and you're telling yourself that you're lazy, I mean, ask yourself the question, is this something that maybe I need help with? Is Mm -hmm. there something else going on? Just like if, you know, I was sick and I needed some antibiotics, I would pop over to urgent care and see if they could help me out. Mm -hmm. I don't see mental health as anything different than that. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah. So we've got laziness covered. What are we talking about next here? So this one is very common, I think. So I suck or I suck at this thing that I'm doing, right? Putting ourselves down. And, you know, I can do things throughout the day where I'm like, oh, God, why do I do that? I'm just so dumb, right? Mm -hmm. And that's like this collective, you know. I suck at that. Yeah, I suck at this. I can't believe, you know, I cut this cucumber wrong or Mm -hmm. dropped this thing on the floor. Where are my keys, right? All of that stuff. And then we have that collective of I'm so dumb. I suck, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the word, that word, like you could just feel the energy of that word and it just feels bad. It just feels so harsh. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, notice what you're saying to yourself about the things that you suck at. So sometimes they're just things that we don't really care to be good at. You know, mm-hmm. I personally have never been very athletic. But and it doesn't mean you suck at athletics. It just means that's not your thing. I'm just not right? very interested in it. Yeah. Yes. I'm not naturally inclined for it and I don't yeah. have any interest in doing it. Um, but you know, if that if I am in a culture, you know, especially when I was younger, too, in school and stuff where that is something that is very valued, it can yeah. be easy to even though that's not my own personal interest, it can be easy to feel less than that. I'm not mm-hmm. competing in this comparing yourself, not yeah. as competitive as other people. And that could be all. I think a lot of the things that we say that we suck at are things that we're just not actually not very interested in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And watching that overarching again, like, is this a permanent thing versus, you know, maybe I just suck at, you know, not knowing where I put my keys every single time I get home. <laughs> um, but yeah. And this you need can, one of those clapper things. So, yeah, yeah. I have a tile and it's still time. I'm like, it goes off randomly and I'm like, how do I even turn this off? Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. Um, but anyway, you know, and this you can come really natural to a lot of people. We might not even notice anymore how much we're talking about you know, telling ourselves these negative beliefs. And again, all these, you know, thoughts can be reflexes, but we can also start to notice when we're doing it and then reframing that. So I suck, right, is no, I'm good at what I'm good at. Mm -hmm. Overall, I'm a great person. I'm not interested in this activity. Yeah, exactly. So if someone puts algebra in front of me, right, I'm going to not do well on that. But that doesn't mean I suck all overall, right? I'm not good at algebra, but I'm good at these other things. Right, right. And also, so the other thing I notice with this uh, narrative of I suck at blank is sometimes I think it's an ego defense mechanism where we're really frustrated about an aspect of our life that we mm-hmm. want to have it go well and it's not. Like I mm-hmm. suck at relationships or mm-hmm. work sucks or and it's something that we're using because that is something that we actually want and we're feeling frustrated with the situation. Right. So a good reframe in that, if it is something that you're actually interested in and it is something that you really want, you can say... I haven't found the work that I that excites me yet, but I'm in the process of looking for it. Right. Or if we're, you know, we are interested in something and we're not good at it at first. Like who walks into a situation and is just perfect at, you know, basketball or tennis or, you know, whatever it is. So we can just reframe that as I'm learning, I'm practicing, and I'm going to get to where I want to be. But this is going to take a little time. Not, oh, God, I just suck. Yeah. You know, and I think it's easy, too, to, like, compare. Again, comparison is always a problem. Mm-hmm. To people have, like, a laser focus on something. If you look at somebody who's really good at something, they're putting all of their energy into it. Right. 
to be that 10 good hours it. a day yeah. of training that sort of thing so yeah. yeah I didn't watch the Michael Jordan documentary but I keep hearing about it about mm-hmm. you know how focused he was yeah. on basketball and and what that looked like you know and not you don't want to compare yourself to someone who that is their primary focus and mm-hmm. and it's not yours and then you're telling yourself you're not good enough because that's just not what you're doing Right. And, you know, like even Michael Jordan, right? He had to practice every single day. He just didn't pick up a ball one day and do excellent. I mean, I'm sure to a certain extent he is Michael (laughs) Jordan. But knowing, look how much he has to practice. But he put a lot of work into it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Look at us talking about sports here. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I do like football. Do you? Yeah. Shout out to the Detroit Lions. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What? I know. You throw that in on this show. I am. And you live in Seattle. Well, I'm from Michigan, so. Go blue. We'll allow it. But uh, Honolulu blue is actually oh. the color. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. Yep. I'll wear my jersey next week. I know, <laughs> but I'm saying still rooting for the Michigan because but... of go blue. That oh, college. right. Exactly. She like, no, what? no. <laughs> we like our Seahawks. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> so when we get into this narrative of saying I, I suck or things suck, I mean, where do you what do you see with your clients, Michelle? Like, where does that come from? How do we find ourselves? We talked about comparing, but what else happens to get us into that mindset? Right. Um, so one thing I really like to do with clients is actually when the ISOC can come up, that actually can create treatment goals and what we want to work on in therapy. So for instance, I would ask, you know, what would make this suck less? So if you think you're really bad at your job, right, what would they make it suck less? And, you know, what would make your appearance suck less? Or, you know, if someone comes in and, you know, I want to lose weight and, you know, they can start to identify goals under that. So the client might say, well, it would suck less if I lost weight or if I didn't have so much debt. So in that, we can learn that the client's goals are maybe I want to be healthier, eating better, and learning how to budget. So underneath that, we can really start to focus on what's going on. Yeah. But what do you how, – how do you think trauma plays into some of these narratives, this, like, self-deprecating uh, mindset? Do you ever notice with clients that – Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, So um, deal with trauma. You know, we have difficult histories and you can actually deal with them. But you also have to give yourself credit for being able to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Coming to therapy, I'm ready to look in this box. Right. And your past, again, does not define you. The core belief and it is central to all my work as a therapist. um, Your past experience, you're you're made up of past experiences, but those experiences are not who you are. And what I've seen with trauma and specifically a treatment called EMDR, which we promise promise to talk about next week yeah i know we've been talking about it for like i know we're teasing this is but next week is the week so it's not about letting go of the past but it's how we integrate it um and we definitely will talk about that more next week but accepting what happened and then unpacking that and i know that sounds really hard but it is possible so you can work on past events slowly and gently so your body knows that the past distressing event isn't happening right now so that's one of the keys is we can start processing that in a safe place we can talk about those things when we know we're in a safe place there isn't that direct uh, danger so you know trauma really does mess with us that Mm -hmm. is obvious but one of the most invasive things it does is heighten our nervous systems our somatic experience which means what's in our body what's going on so that we can constantly feel on edge and activated and the more we understand that process again in a safe Uh, therapeutic uh, setting, the more we can really see and feel a shift inside of ourselves. So all of those things that can happen, the negative self-beliefs that can come up, you know, is uh, the things we tell ourselves is, 
I'm not lovable, right? I'm not deserving of care. I'm always going to be in some sort of danger. So that can create a lot of that negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. I'm not and enough. Through, right. Yeah. And through trauma work, we can identify those things and really start to break them down and actually dispel them, right? Cause yeah. Those aren't really true. That's not, it's what we learned from that experience, like, quote unquote, taught us, but we can unlearn that and really identify the truth. And move forward and yep. move beyond it. All right. Well, let's talk about number three, one of the toxic beliefs that get people in a negative mindset. And that is the world is such a mess. Oh. Everything is around. And I long for the good old days. No, I feel like that's what people are always saying. However, if you watch the 24 hour news cycle, it'd be pretty easy uh, to buy into huh? that whole theory. But when you do believe that, when you believe that there is nothing good, it's really hard to find any any motivation to do anything different. So if I'm watching the news all day and how the world is falling apart, it's going to be hard to have any motivation to to be proactive and doing things in my own life and achieving my own goals because what what is the point? Um, And when that comes up for clients, I always want to ask them, okay, you know, there are accepting, we need to accept that there are negative things happening in the world, but is there anything positive that's happening in your own experience? Because often, you know, especially people who are really caught up in the news, which is really big, right? right now, especially since we have constant information Mm -hmm. coming at us, Mm -hmm. is they're starting to believe this about the world. And yet their world isn't this isn't that world that they're seeing on the news. Right. Exactly. What is going on is massive to us right now. But there are good things out there and people are finding ways of connecting and getting out of the house, but really just kind of looking inward again and looking for things that are positive. So one thing I like to use is a visualization. So Um, you know, we can do this together if you like, but (laughs) close your eyes and not if you're driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. (laughs) Scratch that part. Don't do this at all. Try this when you get home. Um, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, close your eyes and call to mind the most beautiful place you've ever been and just watch what comes up and allow yourself to absorb that image. And it also works with calling to mind a beautiful interaction that we may have had with others that are special to us, maybe our mom, our best friend, our partner, and just remembering those times, sitting with those positive things um, can be really helpful in switching, you know, our narratives and getting us to narratives where, yeah, there are great things in life still. Yes, absolutely. And you can actually calm your nervous system down by doing Mm -hmm. some of these practices of closing your eyes and imagining something different. And again, going back to the news cycle that, and I watch the news sometimes, I'm not anti-news, but if you're watching it 24 hours a day, you're going to notice that Mm -hmm. you're nervous system is going to be very triggered and activated. You're going to be seeing a lot of things that are scary that you don't like or don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we do that, we're going to start to always, our mind is always looking for proof of what it believes is true. So if I believe that everything is terrible, I will start to see terrible things all around me. I think watching when someone has road rage is a really good example of this, that they doesn't matter where they're driving. They're always going to find something that upsets them because Uh they are very tuned into that. Right. You know, of course, there are people who are bad drivers and you might get caught off and get frustrated or scared. But at the same time, if you if you're looking for that, that's the only experience that you're going to have. Right. Yep. That confirmation bias again. Right. I'm looking for only the bad and then saying, okay, there's the evidence that that's true. There's the evidence that's Mm -hmm. true. And like you're saying, with a 24 hour news cycle, that's going to reaffirm all those. uh, It's dangerous. This isn't going to get better. Look at everything that's going on. And then here's what the president has to say. And like, you know, it can be very upsetting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so switching our focus to more positive things. And again, sitting there kind of 
slowly meditating in that way and trying to re-examine and feel positive experiences that yeah. we've had. Yeah, and I and often I get resistance from people when I tell them that maybe they should dial it back a little bit with the news because they want to be informed. And I yeah. think that that's positive. We right. want to be informed yeah. about what's going on in the world, but we don't need get, to do it 24 hours a day. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, and it's hard to catch up on everything that's going on right now. There's so many new things that are coming at right. us every day. So, you know, maybe say, take some time, be aware of what's going on, be cognizant of what's going on in the world. Um, but we don't have to indulge, quote unquote, in yeah. that 24 hours a day because that's not going to feel good. And ask yourself, why do I need to do this? Okay, being informed is one thing. Mm-hmm. But if you are overly focused on it, what are you going to do with this information? Are you right. going to do some activism? Are you going to volunteer? Are you going to do- donate money? I mean, use the information, get the information you need that's useful to you. But then after that, if there is no real purpose to it, ask yourself why you're doing it. Is yeah. it because you're avoiding something? Is there mm-hmm. something um, else that maybe needs to be looked at? And it can be a hypervigilance piece too, right? I need to be on top of this. I need to know everything that's going on, right? I need to look for the danger. I need mm-hmm. to make sure I'm okay. Okay, how maybe can I control that situation, right? And what does that do? If you're activated in that space all day long, you're not going to really be enjoying things. Yeah, because yeah. you're just letting your anxiety voice run the show. Yep. And, and as we, we don't talked really about earlier, yeah, right, yeah. anxiety takes over and then we need rest and then we might tell ourselves that we're lazy and, you know, this can be a cycle like yeah. that. So, you know, looking at the self or negative belief, again, or negative narrative that we tell ourselves that the world is a dangerous place, the world sucks right now. Um, this, you know, what we've just been talking about can be a root of a lot of that. Yeah, and there are th- and there is an element of truth to it, but there's also... There's also truth in the fact that there's some really positive things going on. And even some of the problems that we're experiencing often, you know, if we look back in history, problems can really be opportunities for change and growth and expansion. So, right. So, yeah, maybe it's more like the world has a lot of opportunity right now. There's lots of opportunity right now. (laughs) Everything's primed and ready for major improvements. But trying to refer to problems as opportunities, even though a loss can through loss, we can find a lot of opportunities through that. So if we lose a person, if we lose a job, if we lose our home, right, lose our normal experience in the world. Um, And David Kessler is a really world-renowned author and speaking on grief, and he says this on loss. Healing does not mean the loss didn't happen. It means that it no longer controls us. And that's a great example of, you know, this is a loss over a relationship or a career again. So these losses are initially, you know, we view them as problems, but there is opportunity for those problems to lose their hold on us and lead us to something better. Yes. And so one door closes, another door opens Uh and focusing on that door that that might be. We talk about those doors a lot because they're important. Yes. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for you. And they're also your only option a lot of the time. So door number one, (laughs) door number two or door number three. Yeah. So we want to be open to, to that experience. So, you know, the reframe of the world is a horrible place is some challenging things are happening right now, but maybe... Where can I find opportunity, yeah. right? Where where can I maybe grow in this experience? And what am I going to learn from this, right? We're going to come out of this very different people. Um, so maybe, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I have clients talking about, you know, the world's going to be cleaner. We're going to be much more cognizant of our health, right? Mm-hmm. How we sanitize our hands, how we respect other people's space. So, you know, the opportunity here is for a more healthy experience. And there's so, I mean, if we're talking about the pandemic, there's more research doing, being done. All of a uh-huh. sudden, they're frantically trying to find out more information. I mean, uh-huh. something, who knows what could come from all of that. Right. So right. while we don't want to be experiencing this situation, at the same time, there could be opportunities that come through come through this. Right. 
So I think that's a good reframe for the world sucks. And if you feel like the world really sucks, you might want to scale back how much news you're consuming. Yep. Highly recommend. And we have two more things that we're going to talk about. But let's take a quick little break. And when we come back, we're going to tell you the last two negative thoughts that you can reframe to have a more positive life experience. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. Our veterans risked it all to protect our freedom. One of the best ways to say thank you is to volunteer to support them. At a time in history where kindness is a virtue, volunteering means a lot. For over 47 years, Help Heal Veterans, a not-for-profit organization, with the support of citizens like you, have delivered therapy kits to veterans who need them. To volunteer or learn more, visit HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Some people choose their specialty, and sometimes the specialty chooses them. For me, becoming a relationship therapist, well, it was a little of both. Hi, I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And over the last decade, I've explored love from every angle. Professionally, self-love, unrequited love, and yes, personally, too. I love love. It's the most powerful force on the planet. It affects everything we do. My co-host, Michelle Mooney, is an absolute expert on healing anxiety and trauma and the ways we can move out of pain and suffering to create a life full of purpose and meaning. This is Holding Ground. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing. Our specialty is helping others. At the end of the day, and while on every Monday morning, what motivates us and drives us is helping you. So thank you for being here. It's sort of the best thing you could ever do. Oh, I love that. But I guess I would, right? Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground, brought to you by Anchor Light Therapy Collector. And I am founder of Anchor Light, Laura Richer. And today we're talking about what not to say, what not to say to yourself, what not to say about yourself. And it's all tied back to the idea that you are what you think you are and you are what you say you are. We have a list of five phrases that we've been discussing that we're blasting through this hour. And we're going to touch on the last two. So just to recap, the first three were I'm lazy Mm -hmm. and then... I suck. Yep. And, and then the world is, you know, an impossible place. The yes. Also sucky right now. Yeah. Yes. So now we're going to get to number four. And number four is I'll always be alone. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think we've all been there. Yes, for sure. So this is an experience that I had. I was single for going on five years and It felt like a struggle because I felt like I was always going to be alone. And I remember having one very specific moment. I was home in my apartment and I wasn't, you know, nothing was really working out. And I wasn't really talking to anybody online or like. No Tinder. No Tinder. Nothing. There's just just nothing going on. Mm -hmm. And I had this thought that I am all alone in the world. And then I realized I lived in a duplex where my best friend from the fourth grade lived upstairs for me so I could walk to her a unit in about mm-hmm. three seconds. So she was there. My parents live down the street. My sister lives down the street. I work with people all day long. So actually, I'm really never alone. Yep. But I just wasn't in a romantic relationship at that point in my life. 
you being were able to reflect on that, right? Okay. I feel alone, I feel alone, but wait, and you were checking those things, right? You were checking the, within yourself and what your experience actually is, and you were able to identify, yeah, I'm actually not alone. That This is a, a negative, false narrative mm-hmm. that as I continue to focus on it and believe it, then I have a negative experience where I feel bad, I feel lonely, yep. when in fact, there was it was actually not a true thought mm-hmm. at all. So... Being lonely is a question. When you're feeling lonely, I always tell people to ask themselves, what is underneath that? What does it mean to you to be lonely? Like in my case, loneliness meant there was a lack of a romantic partner in my life at Mm -hmm. that time. However, in reality, I wasn't really lonely. I was actually hardly ever alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a good reframe would be, yeah, I don't have a partner right now, but I'm that's okay. In the process you know, of looking I'm, for one. Right. I'm open to it if it comes my way. And that can be really key in finding somebody is, you know, like in your experience, you had five years really mm-hmm. to identify things for yourself, grow, reflect on past relationships. So what you're not looking for. And then you got to that place of, you know, being okay on your own. And then, you know, one of those doors opened up. Which is how that always works. But another thing in in that time, you know, talking about problems as actually being opportunities for mm-hmm. growth. In in hindsight, now that I can reflect on that time and that I did end up meeting a great partner that I'm really happy with today, that five years was exactly what I needed. I needed that time to focus yep. on myself, focus on growing my business, doing all these things that really were – it was great to not be in a relationship during that time because it gave me the opportunity to really focus on that. Right. And so, you know, it took, I was resistant to it for a while. And I, as I struggled against it, the harder it was and the worse it felt. But as I started to shift and I started to see it as an opportunity and start to see all of the things that were present in my life that were amazing, it, then that other door opened. Mm -hmm. And I know, Michelle, you had your own experience with being single. Yeah, exactly. I was single for a few years as well, and it did give me an opportunity to finish graduate school. It gave me an opportunity to focus on my career and what I wanted in my life and getting financially stable well as much as possible mm-hmm. and finding a place to live that I really love, um, adopting a little kitten um, <laughs> and getting to a place where I was really happy myself. And I got to a place of, you know, I'm I'm happy enough that if a relationship doesn't come my way, that's okay, but I'm open to it and it can come. And eventually that did happen um, when it was the right place and the right time. Um, so if you're really struggling with reframing something this big, right, maybe the easiest step is saying something like, maybe I won't be alone forever, or just framing those always and never thoughts because they're too limiting. And, and so using one of the ones that you suggested, Laura, or something where you can at least ease into the possibility that maybe this is possible for me. Yeah. And it might not be a about the, the feeling of loneliness might not even be about a romantic part or some partner. Sometimes people have relationships with their family of origin that aren't healthy and they mm-hmm. and they feel lonely because they aren't the people who are supposed to be your people turn out not to be. Right. And having to identify, okay, there's enough toxicity here that it's better for me to step away. But there can be that grief around, wow, you know, I thought so and so and so and so we're gonna be this way. I learned through this experience, maybe that isn't the case, maybe our values don't match anymore. So that can be grief and it can also be like, wow, my family of origin isn't here and so that loneliness that comes from mm-hmm. that and that can feel very lonely but again you can reframe that and say I'm in the process of you know a lot of people's families are chosen they're not born into yep. them so yep exactly so there's a different way to look 
at right. that as so well. I may have lost that but look at everything I've gained and you know the important pieces is, is you know maybe losing that and having some grief and loneliness around that but ultimately you made the best decision for right. yourself and giving as we talked about earlier in the show giving yourself the opportunity to allow that negative experience to happen so that you can process it and work through it you don't have to resist it you don't have to like it mm-hmm. um, but negative experiences or sometimes feeling lonely are going to be a part of life. And Mm -hmm. that's something that we want to be able to move through, not get stuck in it. Yeah. Yeah. But most of the time, not always, but most of the time when I talk to someone who says that they feel really lonely or alone in the world and I ask them what that means to them, it isn't really about being alone. Mm -hmm. Most of us are dying to get an alone time. I mean, especially some of the parents out there. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Love my alone time. You know, recharges of an introvert, right? Yeah. yeah. Talking to people all day long. It's good to sit and be alone sometimes. Mm So ask yourself that question. Is it really true? Am I really alone? So number five, Laura. So this is one that I see with clients in the community who are dealing with trauma. So number five is I don't think I can ever get past this. Mm. So that's a hard one. And coming to therapy, right, you Mm -hmm. have some hope. That shows that you have hope. Maybe I can get past this. And again, finding what we learn through those negative experiences, right? I have to be perfect all the time to make others happy. I have to take care of people all the time to make sure they accept me. I'm only accepted if I'm validated in certain ways. Um, And then, of course, there's, you know, other negative ones. So really unpacking those is very helpful for trauma um, and those reframes. And what I really like to use is... So give me an example, Laura, of maybe something that you're struggling with right now and something you might say to yourself. A negative thing that I might say to myself um, is that I'm not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. I might get into some of the I'm lazy, I'm not Mm -hmm. working hard Mm -hmm. enough kind of narrative because there's always so much to do. I can't get it all done. Yep. And so then the next part I would say is, okay, imagine yourself as a child now Mm -hmm. and that you're also there. Would you say that to child you, right? Would you tell little Laura, you're lazy, you have to do more? have it. No, No, of course not. You think about that, it actually makes you sad. You think about a little seven or eight-year-old, which we are all on the inside, have that inner child. Um, And of course you wouldn't berate that little child Mm -hmm. and say, gosh, you're so stupid. You can't get it all done. So why do you do it to yourself as an adult? Yeah, but we do. We're so trained to, Mm-hmm. And again, I think we're doing it because we think it's going to create change. Yeah. And it is the exact opposite of that. You know, I also want to know what you think about this, Michelle. Like I have clients sometimes will feel like because they had a very traumatic maybe childhood um, where maybe there was a lot of abuse present, where that they're damaged goods, mm-hmm. that they can't really be mm-hmm. good for anyone because, because of what too happened much, to them. Yeah, that right? that past can't be left in the past, uh-huh. that it's ruined them yep. forever. Yeah. And the past will always these events happen. Right. They will always be there. But reframing and really, you know, lowering our emotional and physical response to that is, you know, a lot of that can come out of therapy. Um, So we can get past it in ways where we do feel better. And I know you when you work with clients, you talk a lot about mindfulness. How does yes. mindfulness help you get past the past? So mindfulness can be really hard. Um, and mindfulness is just being in the present moment. And I know I personally struggle with this. Um, but, you know, again, in society, we're trying to think, you know, about what's next, the next project, you know, um, you know, and we can lose what's actually going on in the moment. So it's slowing down, reflecting on what's going on with you in that moment, you know, not having that future tripping, not mm-hmm. continually having that tape in our heads. Okay, this is what's next. This is what next. Uh, so Laura, um, are you good at mindfulness yourself? 
I think I'm pretty good at it. I have spent a lot of years as I worked through anxiety getting better about it because anxiety, you're either living in the past or living in the future. And so when you get anxious, notice where you are. Are you mm-hmm. are you ruminating about something that already happened? Are you fearful of something that's going mm-hmm. to happen? Mm-hmm. All of these are made up narratives in your mind. And mm-hmm. so you want to bring yourself into this moment, which almost always we're OK mm-hmm. in this very moment. And something we can do when we're trying to be mindful is if those negative thoughts come up, picture a stop sign. Okay, stop, right? Mm-hmm. Just stop doing that. Get back into the present. Okay, this other thing's coming up for me. You know, I suck. Okay, stop, right? What, recognize that it's happening and then go back into the present moment. So visualizing that stop sign can be really helpful for yes. some people. Yeah. I love that technique. Well, I am so glad that we made it through these five. And I want to invite everyone to notice what their negative self-talk is and see if they can't work on reframing it. And if you need a little extra help with that, that's what we do at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. You can head over to our website, anchorlighttherapy.com and sign up for your complimentary consultation where we can see how we can help support you. Can I suggest some homework real quick? Yeah, for our audience. So kind of like what you were saying. So today as we close, I'm going to ask the audience to really start paying attention to how quickly you have a reflex of negative self-talk. And each time you notice, ask yourself a more positive thing you can stay instead. And like you said, if you think you need a little more help working on this, please visit anchorlighttherapy.com. Have a great Monday. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.